Hi there, food enthusiasts. My name is Chris Rajkowski, your host today for the Future Foodcast, where we talk with thought leaders in today's food industry and discuss the trends and technologies that will shape the future of food. Very, very happy and excited to be speaking with Jim Alderink, the Chief Product Officer of Mycotechnology Incorporated. Welcome to the program today. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, Jim. Well, um, you've been doing some travels around. We're, uh, I think, all happy to be getting back to some business travels, and you've had some exciting ones, I'm sure. But absolutely glad to finally get you back on the ground and onto the program. <laughs> it's great to be here. Excellent. Well, you know, before we jump into what you're doing with uh, Mycotech, help the audience. Let's get to know you a bit and tell us what you're doing before your current activities and what brought you up to this point of being the chief product officer. Great, great. Yeah, I'll do that. So again, as I was said, my, my name is Jim Alderink, and I am the Chief Product Officer of Mycotechnology. Uh, I've been three years at Mycotechnology, but prior to that, I spent 30 amazing years with a company called Kellogg's. So a multinational, I think everybody is pretty well aware of the Kellogg company. I had a variety of different roles there. I started out on the bench. My background is in science, uh, and I worked on the bench launching uh, many products in many geographies for the Kellogg Company over that time. So a lot of the roles that I had there were expanding in breadth. Uh, the final one there was technology discovery. I led the technology discovery team, uh, you know, where we uncover companies like Microtechnology, and that led uh, very clearly after I retired from the Kellogg Company in 2019 uh, to a role uh, with Microtechnology. So my current role with that, the product is called the Chief Product Officer. Uh, includes uh, the marketing team, the applications team, product management and growth strategy. So I have within those functions, great deal of, of, of scope. And what we do is we bring to life what our R&D team puts out into a commercialized uh, format. Yeah, this is, um, I think your pathway into Mycotech is for me, one of the really interesting aspects of the new companies we see coming up in the super experienced and capable people such as yourself coming with decades of academic knowledge as well as corporate knowledge and experience jumping into these new ventures which i think says a lot for the potential of companies such as yours that are coming up and as you mentioned you have a pretty good science background and obviously an amazing you know some decades of product development experience in the food space. What got you excited about Mycotech? Well, really prior to even joining the company, after I evaluated the technology, I realized how unique it really was. Uh, there's, you know, it, I looked around and to see who else was doing this and there were a few, but they weren't near as far along in terms of turning this technology into products, not just ingredients, but products. And my background is touching the consumer. And I was really excited about the role I could play in taking this unique innovation, if you will. I don't like to call it technology because no one wants technology in their food, about what this nature, this very natural uh, platform and moving it into the consumer space. That's what I really love doing. I'm very passionate about it. So uh, I, I saw huge potential here and it's coming to life now. Excellent. Well, that's great to hear. Um, now, we've started talking a little bit about Mycotech, but good chance that uh, our viewers don't really know what Mycotech does. Maybe could you give an introduction to Mycotech? its basic technology and what it's doing, as you said, in bringing out products. What are these products? I sure can, thank you. Yeah, Mycotechnology really um, is a group of people, explorers, if you will, uh, out of Aurora, Colorado. So we're, we're Denver area based. Uh, our foundational scientists literally uh, came out of a basement. There was two foundational scientists that were working in mycology and they were discovering some very unique properties uh, during mushroom fermentation. So mushroom fermentation is a very unique space. We all know very well some of the fermentations. In fact, 
A great deal of the calories that we consume come from fermented products either that are visible to us like sauerkraut or kimchi or kombucha, uh, but like chocolate, of course, beer, wine, uh, cheese, bread, they're all fermented products. But that's usually using yeast or even molds uh, to achieve their end. Mushrooms are a very different way of fermenting. They have a very different mechanism of fermentation, um, which is not as easy to control. So one of the pieces of magic that microtechnology has is the ability to wrap stainless steel around a very natural process. And that's what we do. And we do it on a very large scale uh, now. So we have, you know, big, big, huge fermentation tanks. We look like a microbrewery, a big microbrewery, uh, and that's what we are. But there's a lot of trade secrets and patents held around that that can create these products. So we, we either use the supernatant, the beer, and some of the components of that to create food products, or we biotransform the substrate which is like proteins, plant-based proteins, uh, to make them more functional or more nutritional uh, for the human diet. Excellent. So I think most of us, when we think about your, I guess the core technology, we think about mushrooms. Those are really what we've called, I guess, the fruiting bodies that we think about and that we eat and enjoy on our pizzas and salads. I think you're dealing with what is beneath that if you will, a little bit. And that might help our audience a little bit to understand what part of this interesting entity, fungus, are we really dealing with here? Right, that's a great question too as well. Because you know, we all know mushrooms, like you said, but you, you don't see mushrooms at Mycotechnology unless someone brings them in their lunch or maybe their pictures on the walls. Because we frankly use the mycelia of mushrooms, mycelium too, to do work our magic, if you will, allow me to use magic with mushrooms. So mushrooms are amazing on their own, but what we see the fruiting body is, is from anywhere from seven hours to a few days of its life cycle. It's really the reproductive organ of the mushroom. The mycelia that are always there and prevalent underground, if you will, or on a substrate or wherever they're growing, a little bit more invisible to the eye. So that's where the, the stuff happens, if you will. That's where the fermentation happens uh, in the mushroom space. It's where it's working its enzymatic magic on its substrate, changing its world around it, becoming useful for us. That is where uh, we use the mushroom species that we work with. We say mushroom and we use that term loosely but it's actually the mycelial uh, area of the mushroom that we're using. Okay. Well, you'd mentioned before, one of your, one of the key reasons you've joined Mycotech and what's exciting for you is bringing the technology into products. And maybe you can tell us some of the leading products that Mycotech is working with right now. We can do a lot of things and we continue to do so on an R&D perspective, but the, the initial product launches that we have, one, we use flavorants, from our supernatant, we've isolated uh, specific materials. We call it Clear IQ uh, as a flavor clarifying system. Uh, this particular for mushroom fermentation from the Cordyceps sinensis mushroom is very unique. It's a very unique species of mushrooms, and they leave behind metabolites that have an impact on the human taste. Uh, bitter blockers, things like that, the stuff that can make products taste sweeter without as much sugar, taste more saline without as much sodium. So that's one of the product lines is the, we call it Clear IQ and that's about flavor. The second product line is called Ferment IQ and that is the biotransformation of plant-based proteins in an effort to deodorize and deflavor some of the negative aspects of plant-based proteins. That's happening in the world right now. So much is going on in plant-based proteins, whether it's pea protein or algal protein, rice protein, many different proteins, but they're very difficult for humans to eat because they don't taste very good. So we went after the taste and the aromatic function using another species of a mushroom, shiitake, that biotransforms that protein. So I could talk all day about that one. The third one is area is actually the biomass itself, the cordyceps sinensis biomass. We call that Evolve IQ. And that's literally taking the mycelial biomass, drying it down and powdering it and for sale in, in supplements. 
So that's the three current areas and platforms that we have. Our R&D team is working in the space of sweeteners. We're working in the space of actually protein creation, mushroom protein creation. Uh, and beyond. So there's a lot of growth areas for us utilizing our mycelial fermentation platform. Interesting. You know, on the on this program, of course, we talk a lot about and focus being on sustainability and technology in the food space, which is exactly, it seems like what you're doing. And it, it strikes me that your Clear IQ product, which is for flavorants, is essentially out there to help replace, you know, maybe some chemicals that people are tending to avoid in what we call a clean label focus that uh, a lot of people and certainly a lot of food professionals have these days. How do you see, you know, focusing on the Clear IQ product for flavorants being part of the sustainable revolution in food development? Clear IQ really, from a sustainability perspective, our process is an incredibly sustainable process. You know, mushrooms are uh, an amazing uh, growth species. And so from, from a whole baseline perspective, sustainability is a core of what we're trying to achieve. The product itself, Clear IQ, doesn't replace sugar on its own because it's not sweet. It allows to take the function of what sugar does in many food systems. Sugar and salt are used to actually help flavor systems hide other negative attributes. So if we can take sugar and salt out of the food system, not only is it it's sustainable in that way, it makes the nutrient density of a product stronger. Uh, and that's really what our objective is in food systems there with Clear IQ. It allows you to lower some of the negative products that contain empty calories within a food system and boost ingredients that have higher nutrient value. Interesting. You know, in one or two previous episodes of this program, we've spoken with some companies that are called food engineering companies that where entrepreneurs go to a company and the food engineering companies say, well, how do we actually take our product and make it producible on a large scale? And one, and one of the interesting points of feedback I had heard in those discussions was this move away from using little standard chemicals as food ingredients to others. And one of the comments that wasn't, I guess, dug into enough was that a transition from some chemicals to uh, mushroom-based additives for flavorants. So it sounds like there were probably some NDAs in place there, but you're exactly the company that probably some of these organizations are going to for the, the new wave of flavorants coming out. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's again, you know, we are a startup company, a JV uh, company-based company, but we have a, you know, very solid commercial base now. Our Clear IQ product line, and we have three versions of Clear IQ, are strong, out there with big addressable market and some great traction already, and, and many for many of the reasons you just stated. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we've only begun to really scratch the surface of what we can do, whether it's in, uh, you know, dairy-based analogs, meat-based analogs, or beyond into nutritional beverages. Uh, so, and then we continue to dig and find, we're only, you know, a six-year-old company. We continue to dig and find the science behind what else is in the substrate that's being naturally fermented uh, that can be utilized to replace some of the other, maybe more negative consumer attributes in products. Interesting. Well, let's jump to one of your other products you mentioned, which I believe you called Ferment IQ. Yes. And of course, you know, I think the entire world knows about the shift to plant-based proteins and people having much more interest in that. but. One of the things that we don't get to see as consumers very much is all the hard work that goes on to make these plant-based proteins palatable. Um, so it sounds like, again, uh, Myotech is, sorry, Mycotech is a key participant in this space. And maybe could you help us understand a little bit more about how your Ferment IQ product is helping with, you know, make plant proteins taste delicious. The world is moving to plant-based as a choice. 
But consumers, uh, you know, they'll choose to try things, but if you don't delight them from a taste perspective, if you don't really get uh, the sensory aspects of it right, they won't come back. They'll buy it once and maybe they'll try it again, but likely not. They'll go back to the tried and true. You really have to hit hard with taste. I'll use soy milk as an example. Soy milk has been around for 25 years. The original soy milks, if you went back and tasted them, you would hardly be able to palate them. Now they're doing a really good job, but it took them a long time to grow. And now there's a variety of plant-based milks, tasty and not so tasty. But plant-based proteins bring along a lot of baggage. Uh, you know, they have uh, some compounds within them uh, that just are negative to the human taste, whether it's pea or rice or blends thereof. And then they're not always, soy being the exception, uh, as quality a protein as you'd get if you're going to eat eggs or you're going to drink milk or you're going to eat meat. So what we tried to do was create a blend of proteins, pea and rice protein, that delivered the complete protein package of soy or of beef or of eggs. So we have what's called a pita cast of one. But that also didn't taste very good. So within our fermentation process, um, fermenting these pea and rice proteins, we are able to, the mushroom uses shiitake, they don't like protein, it likes cellulose. So it goes after a lot of those compounds that are negative. So the outcome of that, that biotransformation, is a much tastier and more functional product. So going after taste and aroma was our goal, but serendipity is a wonderful thing. Uh, we also created a highly functional, very uh, tasty uh, type of a protein that works very, very well across multiple categories. So it's a very different functioning protein as well as a tastier protein. Interesting. Well, with all this work, and I, I'm sure working with a number of companies that are bringing out actual you know, products um, for consumers, what do you see sort of coming out over the next five years as some of the new products that we might be enjoying that leverages your technology with other companies that are bringing out the next wave of plant protein products. Uh, a great deal of activity in this space. And it's again, the dairy analogs are coming, milk is prevalent everywhere. Now you're going into cream cheeses and cheeses, you know, of all varieties like mozzarella and even fresh mozzarella. And you're really seeing it go into that space. Right now the space is growing and no offense to anyone customer or not, but the products aren't uh, where they will be uh, in a few years. So that particular category, very strong. Plant-based proteins and meats, of course, we know all about Beyond and Impossible in the burger space. Now you watch them moving into whole cuts and meats like bacon and uh, chicken breasts. And, and so it's gonna continue to go into analoging where consumers are buying now within the actual categories that are being analogued. Look for ready to drink beverages that are not analoging anything. Look for you know bars and bites and snacks and other products that are gonna work really hard to boost their protein content utilizing materials like our Ferment IQ. Interesting. Another, I would say, encouraging aspect of this development is, you know, we've talked with companies that are actually, their origins are in, for example, in the dairy space, and they're very, very active developing plant-based cheeses, etc. You might think would compete with them, but the attitude's really changed, I, th I think, in the market, them versus us. It's a, well, consumers want meat, consumers want dairy, and consumers want analogs to that. It sounds like this is helping to expand your market space as well. Well, it's consumers want choice, right? It's all about choice. You don't want to sacrifice or feel guilt when they choose something different. Mm -hmm. So uh, you want uh, moments of indulgence, right? You want to go out and do it, but you want to feel like you're being indulged. So whether it's nutritionally indulged or if it's taste indulged, you want to move from one thing to another. And I think big companies uh, that are, you know, own the meat space or own the dairy space are recognizing 
that uh, if they don't do it, somebody else is going to, and it's going to pick off a piece of their business. So it might, might as well go there. Let's go there with it and offer the choice analog within the category without, you know, nobody, I don't want to say anything bad about the dairy or the meat industry. You know, they belong. I, I don't think everybody's going to become a vegan. They can't. But from a population perspective, our globe is gonna, not going to be able to support uh, singular businesses like that. We have to have a variety. And that's what our company is based upon doing is offering choice within those categories. Excellent. Well, along with this and, and the evolving consumer interests in the food space and, and what we're eating on a daily basis is a, a topic of transparency. What's really in my food and what you're doing is amazing, but I could also imagine it being a little bit confusing to some consumers who, who are very excited about a natural way of improving flavors, of improving tastes in, in plant proteins, but how does Mycotech help with this transparency aspect of the business when you're essentially being a supplier to end product companies? Yeah, you know, we work a, a great deal on consumer education. Even being a small company like we are, we do as much as we can to, you know, within academia and beyond uh, to, to educate. Uh, our website does a great job of that and we continue to evolve it as we get more consumer oriented in that space. Because you're right, uh, supply security really, uh, people want to know uh, where their food comes from. The great news for us is fermentation is becoming standard uh, gen pop consumer speak. They understand fermentation. We did our own consumer work and found that almost 80% of consumers understand what fermented foods are and believe in, in truth, truthfully so there is added benefits to fermented product. That's great news for us. Secondly, mushrooms are on what's called the shroom boom. And the US is actually lagged behind a bit uh, in this area because in Asia, it's been not going on for some time, but people are beginning to understand that mushrooms add value other than just cool flavors to a pizza. So there's lots of other things that mushrooms do, uh, and that is really going forward. So we have two great consumer trends that are helping us. They're good, they're good tailwinds uh, to help us win in the marketplace. Interesting. Yeah, that's a, an excellent point on the on the transparency side. Um, one being that the from a consumer perspective, there is much more interest in mushrooms and awareness of fermentation, etc. But also at the processes that you provide, this is something that also can be very transparent. I would think to customers, you have highly controlled processes in your production. I imagine this is something that a end product manufacturer could look back through and say, yep, this part of my product came out of this vat at this time and meets these quality standards. Is that something that you're looking at being able to provide to um, your customers? Actually, we already do. We have quite a few videos out YouTube and others, and we're going to continue to do it that talk about our process. There's certain things about it we don't, that we have the ability to talk about because it's very proprietary and there's intellectual property being developed around it. But it's much like, and I, it's not near as simple, but it's much like brewing beer. There's many people that consume beer that really don't know exactly how it's done and all of the nuances of the brewing process to create the amazing array of beers and uh, you know even wines across the scope. So uh, as much visibility as we can drive, because that process is very similar to what we do, and uh, we, we kind of analog it to uh, a brewing process because that's exactly what it is. We just wrap stainless steel around a very natural process. That's what we do. Yeah, yeah maybe uh, borrowing an analogy, many food products, the uh, Mycotech will be the, will the Intel inside of many of these products. Is that how you see 
uh, your company being positioned as a as a supplier to your customers? Well, we are right now. We are B2B. We have one uh, product that we do direct to consumer. It's it, it's something we just couldn't help ourselves uh, that we offer a texturized uh, pea and rice protein under a, a brand called Good Side Foods, which you can get on the internet. Uh, and that's because it was just, we're getting so many requests for it. And it also is a great vehicle to understand consumers and how to communicate to consumers for some of our big customers in that space. So uh, we're using it as a learning and education engine, like you mentioned, uh, to try to help that. So I really recommend for people who are interested in that type of space, making their own meat analogs at home, uh, their own uh, plant-based granolas, high protein plant-based granolas at home, uh, that they go out and investigate that. Because that is the only way to touch consumers right now is in the digital space. It's Well, it's not the only way, but it's a great way uh, to touch consumers in that space. They learn on the internet, they, we all do. And yeah. so we're out there to teach. And we're getting more and more material that talks about our process and how we're making the most natural ingredients possible. Well, this is an excellent point. And let's dive into this product a little bit and talk more about it. But the digital space has become, for many of us, also the center of our food space over the last couple of years for sure. some obvious reasons, um, which definitely was not the case, um, say, in 2019 and before when you know many people couldn't imagine buying food products online. Now it's totally different and it provides companies like yours to educate very, very clearly the for consumers of what's going on with their product. But tell, can you tell us more exactly about Good Side Foods and, and the product that you have out there? Yeah, the Good Side Food products is, is literally the basis of most, well, or just like a base for what Beyond or Impossible or other, these great other you know, amazing meat analog type companies are using. It just gives the consumer the ability to get that raw material, uh, use that raw material in a very easy way, see how simple it is to make tacos with it or bolognese sauce or a curry uh, or even burgers themselves with it uh, and get it and touch it and feel it and understand that there's, the magic happens before it, but it's a very unique and natural product. Uh, so another choice, as, if you will, we've been using the word choice, for consumers to have and how they do it. Cons many consumers love to cook and they want to be able to touch the stuff rather than buy the, the product. They want to be able to touch it and make it their own unique way. And in doing so, we put some questionnaires on the bag. Uh, we're going to do some consumer research and study language. We talk about fermentation, we talk about mushrooms, and we talk about mycelia. And we're learning uh, what consumers are afraid of and what they embrace. Hmm. So it's a, it's a huge, a great vehicle for consumer understanding. Interesting. And I'm not sure if this is exactly part of your area, but it'd be interesting to get a little bit of a peek into what are customers embracing about this? What, what you've seen so far, and, and I assume are the early adopters of this, what's getting them excited about using this product for their home cooking? Well, it's very early days, of course, and we're just beginning to get data, enough data to, to draw some conclusions. Uh, but really, the, the people that are getting it are the ones that really want to touch the food and make it themselves. You can go out and buy burger, you know, you can do it, or you might be able to grind your own meat. These are, you are, you're right, these are early adopters. They're, they're looking for choices. They're looking for ways uh, to do things on their own at home and to be creative with it. You wouldn't believe some of the recipes we've gotten back from people that are taking it in a direction that we wouldn't even have thought, making products we wouldn't even have thought of. So um, it's just a wonderful, not a singular tool, but one of a, a unique tool to go out and understand the consumer a little better. Interesting. You know, it's, it's funny, we talk about early adopters and the technology and such, and it's, it's really exciting to see that this food space fits right into, you know, areas of Silicon Valley, Singapore, et cetera, that are venture startup capitals of the world. And, and literally some of those most interesting startups are around what you're talking about, which is the 
let's say, non-meat protein areas. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, I, I often use the analogy that pretty much all the protein that people consume, that human beings consume is plant-based, if you think mm -hmm. about it. So whatever fodder a farmer might give his animals that he's raising, whether it's a cow or a chicken or a goat, uh, you know, is, is comes from plants. And mm -hmm. and so whether they're grazing on grass, they're turning it, they're, they're fermentation tanks, if you will, uh, in a cow, for example, the rumen, are turning that into, into protein. We just take them out of the equation. So we right. move away from that animal and we're gonna make that protein. And then our research pipeline is, is really now going to go from a biotransformer of proteins, actual to a creator of proteins within, uh, you know, taking side streams or waste streams from other products, using it as a carbon source and then creating mushroom protein. We could do a whole podcast on that because it's coming very, very quickly and it's super exciting space. Interesting. For many of your products, the mushrooms or the mycelia are the engines, if you will. There's still a feedstock, which in many cases, for example, beans, olive beans and other types of vegetable proteins are the feedstock. What do you see, if anything, from consumers and them wanting to know, well, I'm very excited about the process of producing my protein, but where did the raw materials come from and how can I understand that? Are those organic, etc.? Yeah, you do, we do get those questions. And again, we, we're fully transparent in, in where we get our raw materials. And I, you know, but it's like when you buy a mushroom uh, at, the, at the grocery store, do you know exactly what it fed on to get where it is? You really don't. Uh, you may not want to know. Uh, so it, again, but transparency is absolutely critical. So we, in our website and, and, and our communications, uh, make sure it's very clear, you know, what we're using when we can. Some of the stuff that we use to start the metabolic process of our mushrooms, our mycelia as they're fermenting, is very proprietary. And in fact, it's trade secret. Because you got to get that thing pointed where you want it to go. Uh, so it'll do what you want it to do with the pea and rice protein that we give it or the substrate we give it. So yes. we're as transparent uh, as practical, right? I mean, we'd love to open it all up to everybody. But again, part of our intellectual property and part of uh, you know what makes us unique must be maintained. Sure. And I, I think, you know, most consumers get that and, you know, there's not everything has to be an open book, but I, I do see that, you know, as probably your product lines are growing up, you know, people will be interested to say, well, what's the carbon footprint of this? And I feel better because this carbon footprint of this is less than the carbon footprint of this alternate uh, product. I could With that is a different area altogether. Our whole ESG is, is programmed around that. And as we continue to develop scale, uh, we're publishing all that. We got an award for the 2020 Sustainable Plan of the Year in Colorado. So we continue uh, to keep a major focus uh, on that space to make certain that we have a great story to tell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see that being, again, Microtech being, at least at this point, really a B2B company. You know, being able to provide that information to your customers, say carbon footprint, um, traceability of raw materials back to farmers, et cetera, that could be a big selling point for them to their consumers. Yes, no doubt about that. I mean, one of the differentiators in the categories when they get crowded, as they're getting crowded, I mean, let's just think about burger analogs right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's getting to be a very crowded space. The sixth sense of all of it, you know, we have our five senses. The sixth sense of all of that is how does it make you feel if you know where it comes from? How do you, how does it make you feel from a, uh, how your belly feels when you're done? Uh, but knowing, feeling good about buying it and what you're doing and kind of billboarding it and talking about it with your friends is really how it organically grows uh, in that space. So that's the differentiator now when you can create that level of, of transparency without sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is that what you mentioned, there has been a little bit of a surprise maybe for the food space where 
um, the typical mantra that we hear from food entrepreneurs and especially the large you know, global corporations is, you know, what's really important is taste and cost. That's what it comes down to. And you mentioned that also, if it doesn't taste good the first time, it's hard to get a customer to come back. And at the same time, you know, for a customer to pluck it off a shelf or push the Amazon order button, cost is, is a key factor. But, you know, I, I do think we're seeing a shift in consumer attitudes. The newer generations out there, they're really making purchasing decisions based on their perception of its sustainability. Now, it still might be number three, but it, it's a pretty close number three, and it's getting a lot of attention um, that we've seen from a lot of companies. Well, it, yes, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and it, it is uh, you know, a very significant factor in purchase behavior now, and I don't expect it to wane. I think it's going to continue to grow, and you know, making certain food security is, is becoming more and more important. Knowing where my food comes from, uh, becoming more local in our buying behaviors, uh, is super important. So we know that and we're actioning it every day. We make sure everything we do, um, you know, maintains the integrity of that or improves it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and again, there's a lot of skeletons in the closet for a lot of companies that, you know, a lot of materials, I, I'll use chocolate and I don't besmirch the chocolate industry, but if you wanted to do, uh, you know, take a look at ch a chocolate and, and do a carbon footprint of it, those materials come from a lot of places around, around the world and it doesn't leave a very good footprint. And they're working very hard to improve that. Uh, and again, so we got to keep that top of mind as consumers change their buying behaviors, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I, myself increasingly making these decisions and I see that in other people that an understanding that progress is important. It's not, let's not beat the underperformers out there. Let's, let's help them move forward. And this sounds like exactly what Mycotech is able to do. Really, really interesting to hear about your Good Side Foods product. And that, like you said, allows consumers to, if you will, short circuit the, um, the food product development side and get directly to that protein, that vegetable protein to make their own products. Yeah, it is, uh, it is a unique space. And it's not like texturized protein hasn't been out there. There's products out there you can get in, in, in a niche sort of way. And we're still operating within that niche. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that consumers are continuing to move that direction. That's the best way to educate and that's to use that lead user, if you will. Those that are, they're out in front of things and they're, they're the communicators. And with the, you know, the internet and the prevalence of people communicating via social media, it's, it can move very, very quickly. So we wanted to be in that space uh, so we could test and learn as well as maybe get some revenue out of it. Exactly. Well, that's great. Well, you know, as again, a lot of consumers may not yet know Microtech, but we're certainly going to see, be seeing more and more of that. What, what's your prediction over the next few years or what are the top one or two products or product categories that you think um, average consumers are going to start getting to know Microtech through? Well, I mean, again, we have our current products that have only scratched the surface of where they can grow and what they can do. I think they're going to see more of that. We're going to be invisible to most consumers. We're just going to be adding the nutritional content, the high, you know, when we take the calories, we, we talk about people being malnourished on both ends of the spectrum, either overnourished, over calories, or too few. We're trying to pull it all to the middle where you, for every calorie you get, you're getting more nutrition. So that might be a little, as you said, the intel on the inside. Uh, but we are moving into space from a research perspective. I mean, we have a very strong R&D team that's taking this platform and moving it forward, believe it or not, in sweeteners. Uh, and again, this is in the public domain. We're looking at this particular space. We've got new patents that are out there. Uh, so I think you're going to see us there uh, as something that's taking stevia and going beyond stevia. 
uh, as a natural sweetener. And uh, then we've got a, a whole new, as I mentioned, uh, avenue of work on protein generation. So taking plants that are, you know, and making protein out of them. So it's a protein, instead of biotransformation, it's actually a generator of protein. I think those are going to be the most exciting spaces to go. Uh, and then watching our product go into a more whole cut meat space, you know, ground meats are the first wave and then the next wave will be more on the whole cut side. So uh, there are, we're a part of some of that now, you just don't know it, but uh, you know, we're going to get more and more involved in those things. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's definitely scope to come back for an, an additional podcast on this. I'd love to dive much more deeply into the, the good side foods activity Excellent. and what, you know, maybe even have some of the kind of your leading consumers come in and talk about what are they producing with this? Because you know, that's going to be some very novel um, areas. And I, I could see new businesses starting up directly from that as people start to get their hands on this product. That's really a raw material for really interesting new foods. Well, the entrepreneurial spirit doesn't stop. You know, it's there's a lot of shark tanky type people out there. And again, you hit on another reason to be out there with this space. So so we can, we love, uh, you know, love the new and different. We love people that are starting new businesses and we want to be a part of what they're doing. And we are and we are really supportive of these. We call them gazelles because they move very quickly. And that's what you want. Some of the larger companies, they take their time. They analyze things maybe to death, if you will. I worked at Kellogg, so we do all of our homework before we launch a new product at a, in a company like that. But we like the gazelles because they move quickly and we can help them move quicker uh, to get to consumers. Excellent. Well, Jim, thank you very much for being with us today on the Future Foodcast. Uh, again, everyone, Jim, the Chief Product Officer of Microtechnology Incorporated is truly bringing the future of food to the world uh, with these amazing mycelium and mushroom-based technologies. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 